Welcome to Fertility Cafe, the home for every conversation exploring alternative family building through IVF, surrogacy, egg, sperm, and embryo donation. Our host, Eloise Drain, alternates episodes between educational shows covering specific topics and guest narratives for further insight. For a mastery, understanding, and confidence in all things alternative family, subscribe to Fertility Cafe. Hey there, welcome to episode 95 of Fertility Cafe. Historically, women's health has been legislated by men, and there have been tremendous gaps in awareness and treatment for conditions that affect women and family building. Around the world, the costs of fertility procedures often fall on individual women and couples rather than being covered by national health systems or insurance. The exact cost of having a baby via surrogacy will vary depending on several factors, including the location of the surrogate and the parents, the success of IVF attempts, and whether or not there is insurance coverage. The range is generally in the six figures. My guest on today's show has raised awareness about discrimination against pregnancy by surrogacy and has had a huge impact in this arena in the state of Nevada. Kimberly Surratt is the past president of the State Bar of Nevada Family Law Section and the Nevada Justice Association. She sits on the Board of Trustees for the Academy of Adoption and Assisted Reproduction Attorneys and is the chair of the Domestic Lobbying Committee. She has lobbied with the Nevada Justice Association since 2004 and is responsible for all assisted reproduction parentage laws in the state of Nevada, including a trailblazing insurance bill. She is a powerful champion of this important cause, so I'm very excited to welcome Kim to the show today. Kim, thank you so much for being here. Oh, my pleasure. As an attorney, you've been a pioneer in the surrogacy and egg donation arena since the early 2000s. Can you tell me about your formative days in family law and what drew you to focus on this area in your practice? <laughs> yeah, well, it's that, that nasty word, family law, that has such a big encompassing um, field, uh, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, I spent one year in insurance defense, but I immediately opened my law firm, which still, I still have lawyers that are practicing full litigation and family law, but it's miserable, to be quite honest. It is mm. not a pleasant way to practice law. It's um, heavy. It's deep. It it burdens you. There's a lot of things, but the reality was one of my very, very first clients was a surrogacy client. And when they came to me, I said, you know, I don't know anything about this. And they said, well, that's cute because we've called every other family law attorney in the state and they don't either. So somebody's got to figure it out for us. And uh, Nevada had a statute at the time, but it was extremely basic. It was extremely prohibitive. Married couples using their own genetics only, no compensation, just about as narrow as you can draw a surrogacy statute. But um, I drafted the contract. I reduced my fee dramatically. They paid me for the research and I created a contract from there. The clinics learned about me drafting one and it it just blossomed from there until 2013 when I decided it was time to change the law. Mm. Completely revamped everything. At the point of revamping the law, I was able to say goodbye to, to regular family law litigation. No more divorce, no more uh, fighting over blenders 
or used saw horses that were sitting in my office for mm. weeks, or <laughs> you don't want to know the stories. It gets worse. <laughs> those are the good stories, actually. Those are the those weren't the bad ones. The bad ones have the domestic violence and everything, of course. But yeah. So can you tell us about 2013 when you decided that you wanted to change the law? And I mean, that's a big undertaking. Yeah, I had been lobbying with the Nevada Justice Association since really since I started my career in family law so since 2003. And they're a trial lawyers organization, but they've always had a domestic committee. And that domestic committee really is the only body in the state of Nevada that really cares about anything about family law. You can kind of imagine, you know, you get divorced, the law was not favorable to you. It was horrible, but it's not like you're going to go spend money on a lobbyist. Your divorce is over, mm-hmm. right? You're not going to change the law for those that come behind you. Why would you spend your money doing that? So there's, there's just not anybody there lobbying, but for the trial lawyers, And they really kind of do it out of their goodness of their heart because they don't really have any indebtedness to family law by any means. But they do consider us trial lawyers. We do go to trial. So I'd been lobbying with them and um, a lot of years of just defense, you know, killing bills, did a few small ones in there. We did post-adoptive contact agreements, statute, and um, a few family formation things on the adoption side. But in 2013, I decided it was time. And I had a chair of the Assembly Judiciary Committee who was had become a friend who later worked for me as an attorney who was willing to champion the bill for me. So we, I sat down with some organizations, the National Center for Lesbian Rights being one of them. Um, I took the Uniform Parentage Act. I took the American Bar Association's Fertility Act and mushed them all together until I came up with what we liked for Nevada and went after it in 2013. It was a complete revamp. So the old statute was, like I said, only married couples who were genetically, both genetically related to the embryo. Married, of course, at that time in 2013 meant also opposite sex couples, not same sex, because we hadn't had our big changes in the law yet. Mm -hmm. And said that uh, we had, we had a statute that was the old statute that you see in a a few states still in, in the United States that talks about artificial insemination, which of course we don't use that term anymore, artificial, but it was really about sperm only. And not from a That didn't come from a bad place in terms of leaving out eggs and embryos, but it just was such an old statute that was done before the science changed. Um, We were freezing sperm before we were eggs and embryos right? and uh, transferring sperm first. And so, you know, that's all the statute had. There was nothing else. Oh, and it was anti-compensation, no compensation. (laughs) So, you know, it was about as narrow as you could get. And we and and. Uh, revamped it, and the new law became marital status neutral, meaning you could be married or unmarried. You could be single or a couple. You could be opposite sex or same sex. You could be an egg donor, embryo donor, sperm donor. You could um, pay for surrogacy compensation to the surrogate. It included everything you could possibly include except for traditional surrogacy. We did have pushback at the legislature over that. And 
at the time, I just wanted the new bill so bad that I wasn't going to fight for traditional mm-hmm. and the cost of losing the whole entire bill. So mm-hmm. it wasn't worth it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's just still a lot of discussion and abstract thinking around what the real effects of traditional are anyways. Right. Yep. yep. And yep. so it wasn't worth it, but we, we passed the bill. And so the groups that pushed back on me on some strange things that I didn't expect, actually, you know, women's groups, and I consider myself a pretty strong feminist, um, mm-hmm. but you know, their, their ideas an 18 year old is old enough. They didn't want to go off of uh 21 years old, 18, you can decide to vote. You should be able to decide to have a baby for somebody else. Not mm. exactly my, my position or my view on it. I took a different view, which is as a feminist, it's my job to also protect other women, especially young women. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> um, anybody that has teenage kids knows 18, your frontal lobe's not fully developed. Correct. <laughs> well <laughs> into your 20s, actually. Uh, yeah, I think so too. <laughs> Especially it depends on if you got a boy or a girl. That's um, right. <laughs> yeah. So trying to carry baby for somebody else at 18 to me was just, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but again, you know, it was one of those pushbacks where it was like, do we lose the bill over this or not? when ASRM and our clinics are going to self-monitor to a certain extent mm-hmm. and say they're just not going to do a surrogacy for an 18-year-old. They're not going to mer- medically clear her, right, despite the statute. So we went ahead and took out the age requirement. Well, it's at 18. And then you know, it was things like psyche valves and uh, different things. But, you know, really our statute turned out very strong at the end of the day. So strong that Nevada just bloomed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. tomorrow. Yep. It was not as bad of a fight as I thought it was going to be. We had tried a few times before that to kind of poke Mm -hmm. the bear and uh, with things and it wasn't good timing. Our legislative body was made up differently at the time. It was more Republicans. And I don't think it necessarily became a Republican Democratic issue when I did pass it. it became a more people had touched infertility in their families and or, you know, have family members that are of same gender and wanted to have a baby through surrogacy. And they just, more people were experienced with it at that point. Mm-hmm. We passed it and things had changed a lot in Nevada. Or the makeup of our body had changed a whole lot, but it was good timing. Quite honestly, it was perfect. <laughs> yeah. Be. And I just wish that other agencies could catch up. Oh, God, do I wish other agencies, uh, states could catch up. Yeah. How did you go about to get the state of Nevada to change their insurance bill? Because that's another piece that you championed. So in between passing that one and before we did the insurance bill, the attorney that I talked about that was the Assembly Judiciary Chair, he came to work for me, started doing surrogacy work for me. And then he became Speaker of the House. And to be really honest, I became really cocky in between there. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And mainly because of him. Um, I went in and I gender neutralized every statute in the state of Nevada. We revamped our affidavits of paternity to parentage so they could be used for assisted reproductive technology. We made the birth certificate process smoother, easier. We started tweaking other things. I mean, I just started going like crazy. But the year that I decided to do the insurance bill, it, I was still on that high. I passed a lot of bills. Um, one year I passed eight in one year, which is just unthinkable. Mm. 
I just decided what the hell, what do I have to lose? At this mm-hmm. point, everything we need, um, except for that element. And I might as well try. I mean, I, I wasn't too keen or excited about facing the insurance companies, but you know, cause when I lobby on family law, I'm facing other family law attorneys, or I might be facing uh, constituents who went through a divorce, right. Which I face in court anyways, but facing the insurance companies was daunting and is daunting for a lot of States and mm-hmm. a lot of legislators. Mm-hmm. So I just threw it in. I just went for it. I thought, what the hell I'm just going to try after it got going. And I realized it had some traction and I actually had some movement and I was actually going to get a hearing. If you never experienced lobbying, chairs of committees can hold bills, you know, as favors to certain lobbying groups. Mm. I thought the insurance company wasn't even, I I didn't really think I'd see the light of day into a hearing. But um, when I realized I did have traction, I reached out to Art Risk, who, for those listening, is a insurance broker for surrogacy and very well known in our industry. Mm-hmm. And Sarah Page and Virginia Hart and mm-hmm. I started working on it together because I kind of realized, hey, I need um, I need somebody to beef up my knowledge on the background yes. story of insurance <laughs> really quick because I'm actually doing this. This is actually happening. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that we went through and uh, they helped me with the language and they helped me with the talking points and from a federal perspective, Sarah Page flew into Nevada and testified with me. And the basis, the background on that is that the pitching, the pitch, the, the elevator speech, I guess is the way you would put it, is that from a federal level, from the Affordable Care Act perspective, when that was passed, non-discrimination was a big element of the ACA especially for things such as, you know, pre-existing conditions, which everybody seems to know as a talking point for the Affordable Care Act, that if you have a pre-existing condition, insurance company cannot discriminate against you and not grant you insurance. And our pitch, our argument was that to discriminate against the insureds based on how they became pregnant was inappropriate under the Affordable Care Act. And that really under those mandates from the federal government, they shouldn't be doing that. Mm. Wisconsin, you may be familiar, also has a Supreme Court decision, an insurance decision, not a statute, but they had done that long before Nevada did its insurance decision or statute. And but kind of on the same basis, which is discriminating against two women based on how they became pregnant. You know, the argument is if she was raped and that's why she's pregnant, are you going to tell her she doesn't get medical care because the guy who raped her should be paying it? Mm. Are you looking at a teenage woman and going to tell her that you're a teenager, you shouldn't be pregnant? Mm. Are you going to discriminate based on the type of services based on how the woman became pregnant and why she's pregnant? Mm-hmm. It, it went well. <laughs> well in hearing. The biggest turning point for us was United Healthcare came to us, their lobbyist, who I knew and I had lobbied with for many years, and I knew kind of on a personal level, anyways. And he said, You know, if we can work with the language with you, we're not against this. I said, What? Hmm. <laughs> anyway, 
And uh, he said, no, actually, your discrimination argument, we don't really, we, we believe it's true. It's actually real. And that that is actually the right basis and exactly what the problem is. And so he worked with me on the language. We tweaked a few things. Their biggest thing, of course, is they wanted the language to be clear. They're not going to pick up the tab on the um, base compensation for the surrogate. Right. or her benefits, right? Which is obvious. I mean, that's not anybody's intent that that's what insurance is for. Although that would be brilliant. Wouldn't it mm, be? Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Make a lot of people happy. Oh, even no one would ever complain. I would that's have right. This, right. But it's not the, in, the purpose of medical insurance and that's not what the goal was. So we worked on the language. The number one group that was against it were the unions. Mm, really? their, yeah their conglomerate they have a a uh, pack a lobbying pack for multiple unions together and that lobbyist was the most horrifying quite honestly really um kind of rude <laughs> i don't know how else to put it mm. i'm trying to try to pick the right word but he was mm-hmm. rude um rude from a, a female perspective of why women do this, very strong-headed about it, very male about it, very not understanding of people with fertility problems Mm -hmm. and the need for surrogacy and just kind of bitter that, you know, they would have to pick up the bill for this. And I said, you know, let's, let's take a hard look at this. Let's look at your membership, number one. And how many of your members are women that are paying for and that you're, you know, have insurance through you as a union? One are women, two are of childbearing age, and three are actually acting as surrogates. Like, what is that percentage? Well, you're going to make it a much higher percentage with this. And I said, no, it's not going to change the number of people being surrogates. You know, I don't, I don't believe that it's, the things that drive the number of surrogates and the number of intended parents in the world is not whether Kim has this insurance bill. It's whether they have fertility problems, whether they have the money, whether they have the resources, right? It's not just passage of this bill by itself. Right. right. But, you know, it was, he just, he was really just horrible to deal with in a way that like, I just, I was just astounded. But when it came down to it, any of the union groups were, they were self-insured. They were, so for those listening, uh, to be a self-insured means that you are, you have a large enough group of people that you employ that you can put money aside from each of those employees on a premium. You can take your own premiums and make your own pot of money and basically manage your own insurance. Mm. Really, what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And you're a big conglomerate. Now, under the federal government, self insureds have all kinds of exceptions in the world. When it comes to ERISA, it comes, to, which is retirement, a lot of federal things, items, including the Affordable Care Act, are self insureds are exceptions. They can self manage any way they want because they're self managing. Mm-hmm. They're not a government mandated insurance program that's being monitored that way. And so my arguments, the ACA arguments and a lot of the arguments we were making were not applicable mm-hmm. to them. And they knew it and I knew it. 
And at the end of the day, to get the bill passed, we made an exception for self-insureds. It doesn't mean that a self-insured policy in Nevada won't cover surrogacy. It means that they have an independent decision to decide whether they're going to cover insurance. Yeah, or not. Yeah. And so those, you know, agencies, all the groups, lawyers, everybody that does reproductive work, you've probably seen letters from either Art Risk or IFI, International Fertility Insurance, where they've done a review of a policy, a self-insured policy, and they've always said, even in other states, they've said, well, this is a self-insured policy. Thus, they can say today they will, and they can say tomorrow they won't, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> we don't, there's not a lot of faith. Now, the reason people have faith in it is if they get a letter from, from that self-insured saying they're going to cover it because they now have something to hold their feet to the fire with, right? They, you said, and it's in writing from you, you said you would cover it. And for the most part, they'll they'll stay true for the year, you know, at least. And so I'll get agencies that will say, um, well, it's Nevada. We don't have to do an insurance review. Not true. Mm-hmm. You need to determine if it is, one, a self-insured policy or not. Two, there are a lot of companies in the United States, well, internationally even, who operate in Nevada, but they're really headquartered out of another state. Mm-hmm. Policy may be actually another state's policy. It's not actually issued under Nevada law. And they have in-network providers in the state of Nevada for their employees that are in Nevada, but the policy is being managed somewhere else. So it's not comforting to me when somebody says, oh, no, it's Nevada. So we're going to we're good. We don't need to do an insurance review. You need to do an insurance review. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Despite all of this that I've learned and as much as Art Risk taught me and as much as I learned through the legislature, I still struggle to look at a policy and say, is this self-insured or not? I can't tell because some of the self-insureds will hire the big companies to manage them for them. <laughs> so like they're the big company's names on there, but it's mm. still a self-insured policy. Yeah. And that's why I always tell everybody, regardless of whether you're working with an agency or you're doing independent, whatever it is, go get that insurance policy checked. You got to, even if it's Nevada, even though we have this amazing law. Yeah. Now, the time you know you're safe in Nevada without a review is you went to the ACA, you went to the open market, and you purchased the policy for that surrogate. Those ACA policies are with purchased in Nevada mm-hmm. are always going to have surrogacy coverage because of our law. Mm-hmm. So you're you're fine then because you purchased it intentionally and knew where you purchased it from. But anytime it's an employment one, you need to be really careful. So then I'm curious. So the ACA plan is also obviously on a federal level. So is there anyone, and I know obviously it happened in Nevada, but is there anyone who's talking about tackling discrimination against different kinds of pregnancies and insurance policy on a federal level so that it's across the board, across the country, not just in Nevada? There has been discussion. There has been a look at it. 
You can imagine on a federal level, after the ACA's passage, we really haven't had anything of substance in the mm. insurance world mm -hmm. because it rocked everybody. And that is such a massive endeavor. It is easier to take the, the mandates of the ACA and apply them to the individual states and tell the individual states they're applying it wrong because that discrimination language is part of the ACA. And so it's about proving to states that they are in violation. That may take lawsuits. Mm. Minus lawyers, act quite of honestly. God, quite honestly. But yeah, it's an act of God because which of our surrogacy clients want to tackle a state for yep. inappropriately not issuing insurance versus say to their matching program, find me a surrogate in a different state where I don't have to worry about it. Mm -hmm. They're not going to go through that state for fun. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. You know, maybe at some point we'll have the world's most perfect plaintiffs who are just super excited about doing that for us. But, you know, it's surrogacy is one of those hard ones where what we're not getting on the front end, they're not going to go sue over. They're just going to go find a surrogate in, a pro in an appropriate state for them and where there is insurance and they're going to move on. The best way to tackle this is individual states at their legislatures. But insurance is a touchy subject. It is a timing issue. It is a good lobbying team issue. I'm blessed because the Nevada Justice Association backed me. It was my bill. I did do it independent from them, but I sure as heck had their help. There is no doubt. I never could have done it without them because, mm. you know, they still still worked the building for me is what we call it. Mm -hmm. and, um, but, you know, other states, I know a few have tried, have taken a look at some things. Illinois has done some creative things on just fertility exclusions, you know, versus surrogacy. Not, no one's really attempted the surrogacy stuff like me. California, there is a group there that does some lobbying um, on adoption and reproductive stuff. And they each time have decided and their primary lobbyists have decided that it was not good timing every single time. Mm. It depends on what else is being held at that legislature at that time. Yeah. What are the hot topics? And in the nation right now, abortion's a hot topic. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. police brutality is a hot topic. Mm -hmm. Um rewriting criminal statutes, mm -hmm. writing any rights a woman's ever had in some states. Mm -hmm. So you just got to look at what's going on at that legislative body at that time to say, can we do this now or not? Timing is everything, but lobbying. Yeah. I think it's an argument that could be made in just about any state and should be won, but you're not going to win it in a state that also doesn't want to give women reproductive freedom. Mm-hmm. Right. So I don't know what luck we're going to have there with that. Yeah. How is the conservative Supreme Court and the Roe v. Wade reversal affecting these issues? It, well, it's exactly what I'm talking about. Like that's going to stop you from bringing something like this at, yeah. in a conservative state. And it's low man on the totem pole in terms of issues to fight. If Dobbs has created a complete reversal of women's reproductive rights in the abortion arena, that state is not going to waste its energy on trying to get surrogacy insurance right now. They got much bigger problems. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Much bigger problems. Yeah, for sure. 
for sure. What do you think the future holds then for surrogacy health insurance? I mean, I don't see a lot of what's going on going away any time soon by any stretch of the imagination. So what do you think the future holds for surrogacy? I think we'll continue to pick up this type of a statute in, in the liberal states that have already have very have decent progressive surrogacy statutes. I would expect to see something with Oregon and Washington and California at some point. California, I don't know. There's there's so many. Like when I say I lobby in Nevada, we're talking about a much different size legislature nature than California. Right. Yeah, yeah. There are a lot of human bodies in that state. And there is a lot of lobbying power in that state. And I don't know what kind of power the insurance industry has there. Probably a lot. Because California, oh, I completely neglected to say, California's got a lot of liens in that state. Nevada statute does say that they cannot lean. That's not allowed in Nevada. Do you want to explain what that means? Yeah. So you've got insurance companies that'll come in and say, we'll cover the medical for the surrogate, but she's receiving compensation. And the way we look at it is that compensation and what the intended parents are paying should really be reimbursing us first. And so they'll lean her compensation. They will say part of her compensation is theirs. Mm-hmm. For that reimbursement. And it's what they call in the insurance industry subrogation claim, which is very similar to you get in a car accident and it's both parties' faults, and both insurance companies are pointing fingers at each other saying, You owe me and you owe me, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And they treat each other as an insurance company. And that's kind of what they're trying to do to the intended parents saying, You owe us part of this because you got a benefit you otherwise wouldn't have gotten and you owe us money. And it's become a big problem in some of the states where there's liens all over the place. California has a significant number of them. I'm licensed in both Nevada and California. So, but Nevada specifically, our statute says they cannot do liens, which of course was a huge, huge, huge win. For sure. And and just I'm going to actually step back and kind of just even for people who don't understand, we're talking about Nevada and the insurance bill and why this is so significant in insurance companies, you know, because I think people think, oh, she has insurance. And so therefore I can just use her insurance. No big deal. But do you want to just kind of break down real quickly why one of what you did was so amazing? But across the board, and I'm seeing it, I mean, I've been in this industry now 23 years, been running this agency for over 15, and I am seeing now more companies with exclusions on their policies than I ever have. Yeah. So when you go into a surrogacy and your surrogate is pregnant, now on the fertility end of things, when you're paying for your IVF. Uh, with the fertility clinic, you're paying out of pocket. Now that's a different fight. That's another big insurance fight that on the federal level, there are, there is work happening there, like a lot of work. Some of the big nonprofits like Resolve are working on trying to make it where fertility coverage is not excluded. But even if they make a change at the federal level, they're talking about your own fertility medical treatment, not necessarily a third party's medical treatment or fertility. But when your surrogate gets transferred to her OBGYN, 
the natural instinct of the public is to say she's pregnant. She has insurance. Her insurance covers maternity, labor, and delivery, and thus she has insurance. But insurance companies start picking up on the fact that these women who they were covering all the medical on were carrying a baby for somebody else, and it wasn't for their own benefit. And insurance companies started coming in and saying, hey, if you're carrying for somebody else, caring for yourself, we're going to cover your labor and delivery. But if you're caring for somebody else, we're not going to cover it. And so they exclude it. Now, they started doing so in the very fine print. (laughs) So if you uh, think, I always just tell people, think about the uh, contract for your credit card. Did you ever Mm -hmm. read it? Mm -hmm. (laughs) No one ever read it, right? And who's ever really read their full insurance policy? Um, most people have read their the little summaries they put with bullet points on the internet, or they give you these little summary sheets when you get your insurance from your employer. But the actual policy itself is more like 300 pages long. And you haven't read it. Very few people have read it. And in that fine print, they started putting in there that they will not cover surrogacy. Now, some of the confusion is some insurance companies have started, they put either they're not going to cover the medical or they're trying to say they're not going to cover her compensation. Again, you know, we're looking for medical coverage, medical insurance from a medical insurance company. We're not looking for them to pay her compensation for being your surrogate, but they've excluded it. And then more companies caught on and more caught on. And like you said, we've seen it, it's just increased and Mm -hmm. increased, or they've just made it more and more complicated with what they will and they won't cover and what the percentages are or what the liens are, et cetera. So it got to the point where we had some states where we had no insurance. We had zero options whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And so you could have a state that has statutes that say you can have a surrogate and very friendly statutes to your parentage, but no insurance options. And it was getting worse and worse. And Nevada, when I went to do ours, um, Nevada was kind of in a, not kind of, Nevada was in an extreme insurance dilemma anyways for insurance at all. Um, We had some rural counties in Nevada that insurance had pulled out completely because of the ACA. They said they just weren't gonna cover those rural areas of Nevada. And so insurance is a, it's a beast. It's a, it's a, it's a beast. That's an understatement. Yeah. And it's its own beast and it's its own powerful. Yeah. It's its own powerhouse. It has its own underbelly within the United States of what they control and what they do. And I don't think anybody that's listening, whether you've done a surrogacy or not, hasn't experienced frustration with insurance saying they weren't going to cover something. Mm Mm-hmm. And of course, part of what the ACA was meant to do was to get more coverage for more people in the United States and to say, hey, insurance, you've already been telling people you can't have insurance just because they had a pre-existing condition. So you can't do that anymore. It comes with its own controversy, the ACA, because of the costs associated with it and how expensive insurance got post the Affordable Care Act. Mm-hmm. But that was the only basis that we got the law changed in Nevada. But what it means is 
you can go to Nevada and you can purchase a policy for your surrogate during open enrollment. We'll talk about that in a second. And know it will have surrogacy coverage. You will go to another state and have a surrogate in another state and you don't know that that's for sure. Mm-hmm. You will have to screen policies to determine it. Now, you still need to screen in Nevada because, like I said, if you're not buying the policy for her and it's an insured policy, you need to make sure it's not a self-insured policy. Yep. And then if it is a self-insured policy, you need to ask whether they're willing to cover it or not. I've had plenty of self-insureds in Nevada still say, yes, they'll cover it. They don't care. If she's pregnant, she's pregnant. Why? Because they took a a page from her playbook at the Mm -hmm. legislature and don't want to get accused of discrimination. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so you're still, even if it's self-insured, you still see a lot of coverage in Nevada, even with those. But you go to other states. And you could have states where you can't find coverage at all. Yeah. And and for one policy or two. Yeah. Right? Uh, barely. I mean, and barely. for so for those intended parents and surrogates who are in that situation where there is no policy and intended parents are like, hey, we are going to have to cover the cost of pregnancy and, and birth out of pocket. Is that even a viable option? In my opinion, it should not be. I think it's putting the carrier at way too much risk, far too much risk. What intended parents need to know is that, yes, you can go to the hospital and you can negotiate a cash rate for the delivery. You can negotiate a cash rate with the OBGYN. So you pay them a flat fee and negotiate what it's going to be. Those negotiated rates are a picture perfect, beautiful delivery (laughs) with nothing wrong. Now, they'll charge more for a C-section. They'll tell you what it's going to be for a C-section versus a vaginal. But that means nothing went wrong. She didn't start bleeding out, have an emergency circumstance, et cetera. If anything goes wrong with her, those flat fees that you negotiated are out the window. Mm -hmm. And the medical bills are all on the intended parents. But the bigger problem, they're actually on the carrier. They're in her name. Mm -hmm. The intended parents don't pay it, her credit goes in the trash and it's her credit that's affected and it's the carrier that gets chased by the hospital Mm -hmm. and the doctors and everybody else trying to get money from her and if the intended parents can't pay that now if anybody's not experienced the hospital situation where they charge a hundred dollars for a cotton ball Mm -hmm. and every single thing is a exorbitant rate you're probably not going to be able to afford it. And any, even if you do, and you can negotiate with them to pay it, you have put your carrier at risk this entire time. Now that doesn't sound too shabby to intended parents. So like whatever, she can file bankruptcy, whatever, I'll try to pay it. I'll negotiate to pay a hundred dollars a month for, you know, 20 years. Yeah. But it's sitting on her credit that entire time. If you negotiate that way, and that's not fair to her, it needs mm-hmm. to be paid. Mm-hmm. Because she wants to go buy a house later down the road and it's on her credit, they're going to deny her. Mm -hmm. It's not, that's why I tell my intended parents, we leave her in better shape than we found her. Yeah. And it's not just even her credit. I mean, it could affect her ability to find a job. It could affect her ability to rent a, a place to live. It could affect her ability to get completely cured too. Yeah. 
yeah. because if the bills aren't getting paid and she needs to see a specialist because something went wrong and she's still got bleeding problems, et cetera. And they won't do the surgery because there's not enough cash on the table. Her health is at risk also. Yep. And there are agencies that are still, and honestly, lawyers are trying not to use that word because agencies are are a licensed entity and matching programs is what we prefer to call them. But my mouth can't seem to not say the word agency. So it just comes <laughs> out. But I'll recognize the difference. <laughs> but there are matching programs that still want to allow intended parents to do that. And it's up to those of us that believe that's a bad thing to put our foot down and say, we're not going to do it. I'm not going to do a contract for a surrogate without insurance. Yeah. Now, I don't mind doing a contract that says insurance will be purchased if there's a timing issue because we're waiting for open enrollment, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But there's got to be a game plan. Here's my issue. My issue is that as professionals, you know, sometimes we get wrapped up in helping the next person and helping the next person. And I I feel for those intended parents, I know how frustrating and hard it is. And you got a woman standing in front of you who is willing to be your surrogate and insurance is your only barrier. I get that problem, but we don't leave these women in worse shape than we found them. In fact, I want you to leave them in better shape than you found them. You're asking a big ask. You want them to use their, their human body to create another human body. It's almost, it, 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 godly is probably a bad word to use, but it, it, you know, it, it reaches this level of you're messing with, it's a serious thing. Yeah. And don't put her at risk. Yeah. I would prefer that the statutes, and it may be a change in the future in Nevada, quite honestly, but that the statutes mandate the insurance. California has done that. Insurance review has to be done. Everything has to be disclosed. Everything has to be in there. Nevada hasn't gone that far in the statutes, but the professionals in Nevada, for the most part, aren't going to put up with it. Mm -hmm. They're not going to say, no, you can't not have insurance. Now, mind you, we're in a state where it's viable. You just need to wait till open enrollment. And I've used that term a couple of times. I probably should explain that. For the Affordable Care Act, you have to wait till the end of the year. Open enrollment typically will start in like November for a January 1st insurance start date or a little bit later for a February 1st. But each state has different open enrollment periods. But you can't, unless there has been a change in her circumstances that qualifies during the year, you can't just get her insurance during the year. That would be like a divorce or lost her job, et cetera. But just entering into a surrogacy contract is not sufficient for you to sign her up for insurance when it's not open enrollment. But that was a side note from the whole conversation about we take care of them. Yeah. it's just what surrogacy is expensive. Yep. It is. And I know it. And I know this is an extra burden and it's an extra expense, but you got to do it. She's got to have insurance. That's right. The other thing about not having insurance is some OBGYNs are not accepting patients without insurance anymore. Correct. And then there's others that are doing concierge stuff, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Who won't do it without insurance, but you know, they not on the OBGYN end of things usually because they have privileges to practice in the hospitals and 
it's not their hospital. They don't own it, but they go to that hospital and they deliver the baby, right? So there, there's definitely, there's a need and a desire that the insurance is sufficient and it's in place so that they can use that hospital to deliver your baby and et cetera. But yeah, it's, that's getting more, uh, you know, ins- it, I mean, the doctors hate insurance. Yes. Honestly, it's not, it's not anybody's favorite topic, yeah. but I hate insurance as well. So let's just add on, (laughs) pile it all on. So, well, Kim, thank you so much for being with me on the show today and sharing your experience. And of course, we will put all of your contact information, your website and all of that in our show notes. But is there anything that you would like to leave with our listeners? Well, if anybody is a lobbyist in your own state or you're an attorney that wants to take a look at this, I have always been an open book. Like you, I have been practicing for 20 years now, and most of that has been doing surrogacy work. But anybody that knows me in this industry knows I'm an open book. And I have the resources to give you from when we did lobby this in Nevada I'll sit down with you. I know Art Risk would sit down with you. We will help you. We will train you. We will be your uh, your support system for pushing it in your own state and uh, making changes. Even if it's not the insurance bill, it's just surrogacy. I'm there for you. I've helped several states so far. They call me. I give them advice before they go in for their hearings. Your state is its own beast. You're going to have to understand it and understand its politics, but there's a lot I think I can help you with, and I am more than happy to do it at all pro bono, all for the betterment of what we're doing. We need we need these protections and we need more states doing it. So I'm here for you. Agreed. Thank you so much, Kim. I appreciate your time. You're welcome. My pleasure. Thank you so much for listening. If you found this episode helpful, please rate Fertility Cafe on your favorite listening platform and share this episode with anyone you think could benefit from hearing it. Tune in next week for another amazing episode on Fertility Cafe. Until then, remember, love has no limits. Neither should parenthood.